Welcome to Conspiracy Say What? It's the show where we talk about things that sometimes keep you awake at night. I'm Cameron. I'm Allie. And I'm Sarah. And today we're talking about those lovely, beautiful national parks that need more funding and are amazing and wonderful, but also uh, people die a lot and disappear in these parks. And that's what we're talking about today. Weird disappearances, among other things, like we've got on the list cannibals, apparently. Yes. And I also wanted to make a note that um, we did sprinkle in some other things that aren't necessarily like national parks, but are like park land. Yeah, anything that's considered just like owned by the same type of like BLM and all that kind of stuff. Bureau Bureau of Land Management, I'm guessing. Yes. Sorry. Yeah. (laughs) Government owned park land. Yeah. Yeah. Which should go back to the tribes, but that's neither here nor there. Land back. Yes. It's also it's also a protected land that they don't want you to hurt, but they pave roads through. So, mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. whatever you want to go with. Should we just practice this with you are on native land? Yes, land, you are. Land, land. Echo, <laughs> echo, echo. Give it back. I mean, I'll start just by saying that there are a lot of resources online where you can just search missing people mm-hmm. and realize how likely it is that you will someday go missing. One of the biggest resources that I found is called NAMIS or NAMIS or NAMU. I guess, if you'd like. If you want to get French with it. Yeah, especially if you want to get French with it. But it's basically just a a giant missing persons document that when you open it, there's a little like red icon that pops up that says, there are too many results found. You may only view the first 10,000 results. Good. Yeah. 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 Yep. Yeah. It's not good. It's really sad. And that you can break it down by state and look up specific people based on what they looked like and where they're from and how old they are, which the first ones, they're all like young people. It's really creepy. Oh, nope. There's an 82 year old, but yeah, it's just, it's super weird. There's also a national park cold cases website and they have pictures. They have pictures Mm -hmm. of all the missing people. And that one's Mm -hmm. also disturbing because if you're empathic, like I am, you're just looking at these pictures, imagining their lives, and it's really, really pretty horrific. But yeah. Yeah. I think the worst part about the National Park Service one, though, is that they don't actually keep a real list of all of their disappearances. So that's not even like the totality of the people who disappear. So that's worse to me. Is it just because they don't have the, the bandwidth to be able to keep track of all these? Or so there's, there's this quote that I, because we were just talking about these resources, right? Like Sarah, you said there was like 10,000 on the, on the first page. This quote says an estimated 1600 people have mysteriously disappeared from national parks and other public lands around the country. Um, I saw that in a few different places, but this one's from out there, Colorado. And like you just said, Cam, on top of that, the national park service doesn't actually really keep a list of any, a list or any record of any missing persons that go missing on their land. We, we watched missing 411 yeah yeah buddy uh but not the hunted the hunted is like we watched the the first one that's just missing 411 and in that they did an interview with the then secretary of interior ken salazar and they asked him like why doesn't the national park service 
keep record of missing persons in their parks. And he just like got visibly uncomfortable, went silent for a second and then went, I don't recall. What? Yeah. <laughs> what? I and then do, he just like went what? on about other bullshit, you know, like politicians do. The, the one thing I do want to say about that though, is that missing 411 is not a trustworthy source of no, information. But this did happen in more than one instance. No, I, I think this is accurate. I just want to say, I don't trust. We'll talk about that later. Yeah. But I mean, on top of that, I read a, a bit from a vice journalist. I love vice also um, who wrote that he also tried to ask the national park service for records on missing persons. And he got a similar answer. Um, so here's the quote that they emailed back to him. Uh, please know that we reached out and collaborated with other offices and bureaus, the office of law enforcement and security Bureau of Land Management and National Park Service. According to the feedback we received, they do not track or maintain listings of missing persons. Yeah. So they they, just don't seem to care. They don't do it because it would require more money to be spent. I think that's the biggest problem. And we already know that national parks often are underfunded. So I think they just don't have the money or the resources to really dedicate the time to keeping a list of every person because typing out names in an Excel spreadsheet is very hard to do. (laughs) Law enforcement has like in general in the U S has been trying to get this, like, uh, what do you call it? It's like a, a digital network of files for like all departments across government to be able to access records when they need to. And apparently it just doesn't fucking work. And lots of departments have just decided not to use it at all because it's not really searchable. And a lot of times it duplicates records. And I guess you can't really go in and find anything that you're looking for. And then everything prior to 2013 is still paper. So they just have filing cabinets and filing cabinets and filing cabinets of garbage that they would actually have to hand search through and pay people to do so. So that is one of their excuses is everything's paper prior to 13 and also our current digital system doesn't work you know bureaucracy again because it's hard to type names into an excel spreadsheet you well, and not only that but like person. everybody everybody these days is quote-unquote working from home as someone who doesn't work right? from home i'm salty about that but like if you're quote-unquote working from home why don't they just give a bunch of people these side projects to do because right. if you can have a mimosa at you know, 10 o'clock in the morning, you can help find missing people, you know? Exactly. I mean, at the very least, just having a list of them doesn't really seem that hard. Or at the, like, I get to a certain degree the argument that we don't have a list of previous disappearances because they didn't have anything in place. But at any moment, you can put something in place that says the moment you get a call about a disappearance, you put it in a, in a national list. And then if someone calls and say, hey, says, hey, we found that person. Yep. Check found or not found. It doesn't seem yeah. that hard to do. And you can start that now. And then when someone asks you in five years, if you have a list, you say, yeah, we have a list that started five years ago and it's got so many people that it keeps me up at night. There you go. <laughs> and it's also simple. the government has plenty of interns. Just make the interns digitize everything. Totally. Yeah. But on top of that, there also seems to be a common theme with a lot of these cases where it's like a consistent battle between whether or not local police or like park authorities should be handling these cases. And so that just leads to like a bunch of disconnects and like who's handling what and then people get confused and then conspiracy theories and here we are. So, yeah, the National Parks Service seems to be a lot like like 60s and 70s police forces where they're like, no, this is our area. We don't want your help. 
And then they don't really do enough to help. They usually accept help, but they usually don't accept it until a week later. And a week later is always too late. Yeah. So, yeah. So the big question here is, is this just a chronic case of bureaucracy failing us as it always does? Or is it something more corrupt? It's all the bureaucracy and politics behind all of that. Yeah. (laughs) Just so you know, you may think that it's safe to go disappearing in a park because someone will at least have your name on a list, but that's not always true. All right. So one of the first cases that I found was from quite a while ago, and this is before they had computers. So it's okay that he wasn't on a list. Yeah. You know, this is a, this is an okay one for me, but it'll get worse as we go along. I promise. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I don't like this. One. <laughs> yeah. The first, the first story I found is about a little boy named Alfred Bielharts, or I've also heard Bellharts, and he went missing in 1938 in one of our national state parks, Rocky Mountain National Park. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, it's just <laughs> just right outside, just real, just a jaunt up the highway there. This was a four-year-old boy who went with his parents and ten other children. Like it's it's a big family back in the 30s, which wow. you know kind of makes sense. But wrangling that many kids going on a camping trip seems a little dangerous to begin with. Yeah. In addition, they had two other male adult friends that went with the group, and they, like I said, they went up to Rocky Mountain National Park. And if you've never been there, it is massive. It is 415 square miles of rough terrain, vertical cliffs, rivers, and full of a wide array of animals, including bears, mountain lions, bobcats, coyotes, deer, moose, elk, small mammals, like, you know, a little pika or something that will bite your toes off, um, and innumerable bird and insect species. So it's just a massive area, and most of it is vertical land it's yeah you you have to kind of know what you're of course there are valleys and everything for families and things to play in but there are also rivers which is where this one kind of takes place so early on the morning of july 3rd all the campers woke up pretty early and alfred and his father this is where the stories kind of get weird alfred and his father decide to go to the river to wash up which is nice you know stay clean kids (laughs) so he and his father go down to the river And some reports say that Alfred finished washing up first and decided to go hang out with the other campers who were about 500 feet upstream, which if I'm taking a bath, I'm, I don't want to be downstream, but you know, whatever, that's just mistake number one. Anyway, Alfred walks up to go and find this other camper and when his father gets back to camp, he realizes that Alfred is not there. And none of the adults know where he is. So there are some reports saying that the boy was behind them when they were going back to camp. And other reports say that he was in front of the adults and somehow went disappeared in that meantime. So obviously the search for the boy started immediately because they were close to the river. And if you know anything about Colorado rivers or I'm sure rivers in general, but specifically the ones up here, they're rocky, they are fast paced, and they are cold water. They are like, Mountain you will water. you will die, <laughs> like really cold water. And um, so that was kind of the first thought that the boy had fallen into the river and was swept downstream, which in and of itself is absolutely horrific. I can't imagine what that must have been like for the family. So 
They found a ranger named Ranger Muma, which is probably one of the coolest names I've ever said. And he dispatched over 100 CCC volunteers. And if you don't know what that is, it was a program called the Civilian Conservation Corps created by Roosevelt um, during the Depression to give people jobs. So if you've ever been to Colorado and you've been to Red Rocks Amphitheater, it was built by those guys by hand, which is pretty impressive. But they didn't have much else going for them. So it's like, uh, you want me to build an amphitheater out of enormous stones? Okay, fine. I'll do it. Go, just, um, just give me cash. Yeah, yeah, just just pay me any like anything. A loaf of bread will do. And so the volunteers came immediately and just started scouring the area, um, which was impressive because according to one report I read, it said that the volunteers were there within forty five minutes of the the boy disappearing. You know, or after they were they had been dispatched. So there were a lot of people around trying to help. And one of the problems, if you've never been in a dense forest, is that sound does not travel well at all. The, the forest just completely kills all sound. So if you scream in a forest, you probably won't be heard, except by whatever is killing you. So that's fun. <laughs> cool. Thanks. <laughs> You're it's also welcome. definitely worse in the winter when the snow dampens everything. I actually think one Absolutely. thing that's fun about a dense forest is like, if it is dense, then often you can't hear someone scream, right? Like in space. No one can yeah. scream. But uh, if it is also a canyon, then you can sometimes hear people whisper when they are like miles away. It's a really weird effect. So you can get both effects, which can be disorienting very, very oh, yeah. fast. Yeah. Nature is scary, kids. It's you got to be careful because you either will be heard miles away or never again. Bring flares. Are those voices in your yeah. head or just another set of hikers on a different trail? Hard to say. <laughs> sometimes both. All right. So as if this wasn't a scary enough story to begin with, you know, a bunch of people trying to find this boy, nothing is found. Then on July 5th, they actually dammed up the entire river to try and catch evidence, which kind of at this point is a little late, you know, like July 4th, the the rivers are going to be flowing pretty at a pretty good clip because of all the melting snow and the higher country and it's just, it kind of seems like it would be too late, but I mean, good for them. They were trying everything to try and find this kid. They also got bloodhounds and other dogs to try and look for the boy's scent. And one of the dogs went to the river and lost the scent, whereas another dog fought, went up into higher elevation. So away from the camp, but up further into the mountains. Hmm. Um, so now things are going to get weird. On the afternoon of July 3rd, so the day that the boy disappeared, William J. Ells and his wife stopped to rest after taking a hike. And they glanced up to Mount Chapman and they saw a little boy sitting on a rock. Just, just sitting. And then to make this more of a horror story, the little boy looks at them, makes a shrill noise, walks out onto the ledge and was either, either turned around and went out of view of the couple or was pulled from it. The couple said pulled from it. (laughs) They decided to hike to the location just to make sure that the boy was okay. But when they got there, they found absolutely nothing. There was no evidence that a little boy had been there at all. So the couple eventually found people and said, Hey, we saw a little kid sitting on a rocky outcropping and 150 searchers went to the area and they found absolutely nothing. This was near an area called the Devil's Nest. Devil's Nest. Then on July 8th, 
the FBI found a soiled bandage and showed it to the boy's mother, and who said that Alfred had been wearing a similar bandage on his heel because he had an injury there, you know, a few days prior or something like that. Then, July 8th, a woman from Nebraska saw a boy walking down the road with a man, and she was positive that it was the little boy in the image that she'd seen from the missing posters, which... Um, I don't know. It's kind of, that could go either way. It's like he was a little Caucasian boy. I was going to say, a a little white boy in 1938. (laughs) I mean, they were all supposed to look the same anyway. So he probably did have the same haircut and same clothes as everybody else. Right. Like, it's hard to say. They didn't have the kind of access to fashion that we all did. He was probably wearing (laughs) overalls and like a white shirt or something, you know, just the same thing to everybody. Totally. He carrying a briefcase. Um, (laughs) So, that i don't know i don't know about that story but then on november 27th so this is months after he went missing and but you know the snow would have already been falling in the mountains it's too late for the the boy if he was still up there but november 27th a ransom demand was mailed to the family and it said sorry for your son we went west out of money the boy doesn't take to us We will return your son if you leave $500 in a can one block from your house and the note. We will return your son within 24 hours. Um, The report I was reading said that the police didn't really take it very seriously. And by the 29th, they deemed it to be a hoax. And even though they did talk to some suspects, they didn't make any arrests. So that's basically the story like they did well and um another thing that i was reading the the couple that saw the boy on the rocky outcropping people are saying that they actually were mistaken and that it was a i don't know wallaby or something who knows like they just (laughs) that's a a second (laughs) that's more interesting it's just it's it's just as likely i mean no they didn't say wallaby but they said it was probably just a small mammal that they saw and I would I would thought like to, it was a child. I would like to uh, say that if it was a child, then it was also a small mammal. So <laughs> okay, whatever. <laughs> but, but basically, I I would hope that if we were just hiking in the mountains and we saw something on a rocky outcropping, we wouldn't be like, is that a kid or is that a badger? Like I mm, I can't tell. But the fact air or human. (laughs) Yeah. uh, I mean, that's a hairy child. I, (laughs) I don't know about that, but like, basically as I was researching this ever since then, I've just had this horror movie replaying in my mind of a child sitting on a rock and then slowly turning his head and then screeching and just his jaw dropping. Like, yeah, that's what happened in my brain. Yeah. Even though it's like not what it said, but you know, my brain's doing two things with this case. One is similar to that, but it's like, it's like, what if he found one of those like interdimensional things and he's like trapped in between the two, but then he just finally gets ripped through one. Right. Ooh. That's where my sci-fi brain goes. My okay. other brain goes <laughs> to the idea that aliens took him and then they needed help and they needed American money so they could buy some parts for their ship. So they sent a ransom letter, but the police didn't take it seriously. So they asked for $500 in a can because I believe that's what aliens would do. So why don't you yeah, put they... these things in a short story? Until <laughs> <laughs> this would make a, an absolutely fantastic horror short, actually. Like that's the end of the, 
the film is the little kid looking at you screaming and it's just like, and the boy was never found. <laughs> well, let's talk about in, in like, in terms of missing children, uh, there is also a different kind of like phenomenon with this whole children go missing. Sometimes they're found, sometimes they're not, but there is one that seems to re- like consistently pop up. That is really creepy. Yeah. We like happened upon this weird thing that like has happened multiple times. Yeah. Just while Googling stuff while watching missing 411. Yeah. And in missing 411, it has, so they ma- they make one mention of it. And then when I was looking stuff up, I was like, well, this happens again. And then this happens again. So there's multiple things that happened so let's just start with the missing 411 uh case one of the women that's consistently interviewed throughout that documentary she is on like a consistently on search cruise she runs one of the canine units to search for people but she said that there was one case in particular that kind of haunted her which was they would they've been looking for like a little girl i think they said she was like a three-year-old girl or something yeah, she was like, like she's very young uh they've been looking for her for days and they finally got a hit with the dog where the dog's like finding something and freaking out. And then suddenly the dog turns around in this forest. They've been searching him for a while and then just starts howling behind her behind the woman. So she turns around and describes what she says is just the missing child appears and just walks out of the mist that is around them. And the child is completely naked. And again, it sounds like which it was January or February what this person said. Yeah. It was winter. Yeah. But like this child's completely naked. It's been missing for days and just kind of walks out of the mist. And like just a very, it always seems very like surreal or stoic or calm. It's a weird thing. So that was the first time. And then reading other cases. So I found another case uh, that was from Texas. There was a missing boy. Search crews have been looking for three days, found absolutely nothing. Then this guy who heard about the case in his Bible study because they were talking about it. He said that he felt called by God to go search for the child, which whatever, I guess, more power to you. You want to go help people, whatever your reason to do so is. Um, He went to go search near the edge of the woods where the kid disappeared when he said he heard a noise off to the side. And when he turned to look at the noise, there was the child out of nowhere, out of the blue in an area people had been searching and was just completely naked and hadn't had any food, any water. It had been freezing just for three straight days. And the man's quoted as saying that the child wasn't shaky and he wasn't nervous. He was stoic, just completely stoic, wandering out of the woods, just right there. And then, of course, there's the other case, which is uh, Catherine Van Alst from 1946. She was another one. She was an eight-year-old who went missing in Devil's Den in Arkansas near the Ozarks. Uh, she was missing for six days, six days. And she had just kind of wandered away from her family's campsite. She had been playing with her siblings. And then she just kind of disappeared on the sixth day. Uh, she just emerged from a cave in front of people searching for her and just said with literally no emotion, here I am just yeah. stoic, completely stoic again, just suddenly emerged from a cave and, uh, They said that she had been sleeping in random caves for over the course of six days, they think. And she had been surviving on berries. Berries. We're going to talk about that. But that, but that's, that's all they could really get out of that. And this eight-year-old just appears. Then there's another case, which they mentioned in Missing 411, which is a bit different, but it's got a similar vibe. So this one is a tiny bit different because it wasn't like, he also survived and all that. But so there was this two-year-old kid in 1952 named Keith Parkins around Ritter, 
Oregon. And he had gone up to his family's ranch. The ranch was in the middle of like a surrounding forest. He had wandered off in the middle of winter with snow and everything. And then this huge search crew went out, tried looking for him. And they searched through the night and he was found eight miles away, face down in the snow um, with his jacket and his little hat removed. And he was alive. And it was 20 hours later, overnight, forever away. And he had no memory of it. And it was freezing and there was snow. And there's no way a toddler walked like he had actually walked like three miles east and then doubled back and walked like another five miles west and ended up eight miles away from home. Yeah. And this isn't flat land either. This is like multiple like little cliffs and stuff like He's that. Two. that. He would have had to climb over in the middle of the night. That's that. Well, what is with these tiny children being taken into national parks in the first place? Yeah. That's what I was saying. Well, he lived here. This one, he lived in this, this last one. Yeah. So well, it, yeah. it's just a similar thing because like, Again, like, why is his jacket and his hat off and he's laying face down in the snow? It's such a weird... Well, I thought he was dead because he was just laying there and his dad ran up and picked him up and he was like, oh my God, he's alive. Yeah. Well, and they interview him in the documentary. <laughs> he was all scratched up too. I forgot to mention that. Yeah. Well, they interview him in the documentary and he's like 65 at that point or whatever. And he says that he doesn't remember any of it. Obviously, he was two. But what he did say is that people have told him that one of the things he said about the scratches on his face is that a cat did it. But like... I, it's it it is such a confusing thing but again just like another random child disappeared and then randomly shows up completely fine even though there's freezing cold and part of their clothing is removed it's weird and he's eight miles away that's absurd yeah i mean i couldn't accidentally walk eight miles that that would exhaust me no yeah and overnight in the dark in winter i don't know and like these aren't the only ones either there just seems to be this weird grouping of children going missing not necessarily like staying missing and dying or anything but like they come back somehow surviving in the woods alone well i think that's the weirdest part about this whole section here is it's it's about how they don't really stay missing but the mystery is how they survive or why they're missing their clothes like where do their clothes go most of the time they don't ever find the clothes it's just a child with nothing in the freezing cold with no food or water. They've been returned to the fairy folk. It just, it's just a weird thing. I wonder, I wonder if it's a case of paradoxical undressing, you know, how when people get to the point of hypothermia that they start to feel like they're too hot and so they will take off their clothes and that's usually how they're found dead. Well, but yeah, the fact but that's that usually like how they're found, found alive, dead. <laughs> right, that usually, but for these children... To be able to survive that, it that's incredible. Well, and also walking around the forest with like no shoes on too, like that, just in the freezing cold, also is not something that should really work that I well. I mean, they should have at least lost a few toes and fingers. And also, why aren't they crying or screaming or listening to anyone's calls? Like, as there's a ton of people calling them, but they don't ever come out. It's such a weird thing. It doesn't make any sense. It's it's strange. Anyway, we wanted to throw in that bit because even though those people were all found and they were all alive, it doesn't make it any, (laughs) it doesn't make any more sense than the just straight up disappearances. So yeah, confusing. Well, I have another case that is very similar. The only difference is this one, the boy was not identified because 
it's it happened fairly recently. And I guess he didn't want to just be known as the missing kid in the forest guy for the rest of his story. life. Yeah, nobody it's, wants it's, to be that kid on the Nirvana yeah. album. You don't want to. You don't want to be out <laughs> for that your entire life. Oh, uh, that guy! Don't even get me started. Um, so the boy known as John Doe, which first of all, if it we need to come up with a different label for someone who's still alive. Like I thought, John Doe's were Jack dead Deer people. I was going to say Jack Buck. Jack, <laughs> Jack Buck. Well, that's his porn name later. But um, <laughs> so he's the boy who appeared or disappeared and reappeared. But this one is a little bit different because there's just some creepy, like nightmare grandma robot. So he was three years old camping with his family. Again, you're taking your toddler camping, which uh, I'm not a parent, so I don't understand what you people are up to, but um, stop going into the rural (laughs) deep woods with your fucking toddlers. Take them to some public campsite with toilets and showers or something. Seriously. Like glamping. It's a toddler. Stop. Sorry. Okay. Continue. <laughs> Very passionate about this over here. Like keep your kids safe. I'm not a parent either, but like if I right. was, it would either be on a leash the whole time or we wouldn't be out there. Yeah. That <laughs> same just is too dangerous. Um, so the three-year-old was camping with his family near an unnamed river and he went missing around 6 p.m which is a bad time to go missing in the woods uh the parents searched for several hours before they even tried to get authorities involved but who knows why but he was missing for five hours and then was just found randomly laying in a thicket near the exact path that all the searchers had been crossing to try and find this kid so if that's not weird enough, you know, it's, he could have just run off and people couldn't find him in the dark. Yeah, that's, you know, pretty boring story. But here's the weird part. About three weeks after he went missing, John Doe's grandmother said that her grandson told her that he didn't like other grandma Cappy, which Cappy was another way, that, or the, like a three-year-old way of saying Kathy. And his other grandma said, you know, why, why would you say something like that? And he said... This is, quote, um, don't you remember when I was lost in the woods? The other grandma, Cappy, grabbed me and took me to a creepy place. She's really a robot. It was a cave with spiders and there was purses and guns. I was too scared, so I didn't touch anything. But when she climbed a ladder, the light made her look like a robot. There were other robots, too, but they didn't move. She made me lay down and look at my tummy. She tried, this is, this is weird. Then she tried to get me to poop on a sticky paper, but I couldn't go. She told me that I'm from outer space and they put me in my mom's tummy. Then she took me back to the river and said to wait under a bush until someone found me. And then it also says um, that the boy later commented, she had your same hair, your feet, even your face when he's speaking about his other grandma. Um, and so they were all freaked out thinking that she had some kind of alien robot doppelganger and, you know, um, you know, kids just being creepy. Yeah. That, that, I saw that story too. And I was glad to see that you had already put it in here because <laughs> what the fuck? Yeah. I mean, part of me is thinking that most likely what happened is little boy later dreamed about the trauma of being missing in a forest and then his brain kind of took it to a really weird place instead of just you fell asleep in a field when you're being a kid wandering around in the woods 
thing. I hope. Yeah. I hope that his grandma is not an alien robot yeah. hologram. <laughs> so yeah, that's a that's a fun story, and nobody knows who this kid is. Um, mostly because why would you want to be known as that weird kid? I guess. And then the grandma was all, grandma Cappy was also kind of a strange duck, I guess. And she claims to have woken up one morning face down in the dirt, having been removed from her tent and sleeping bag. And she had a puncture wound on the back of her head. She said that she felt violently ill that morning and felt strangely emotionless, which is kind of weird. Like you were talking about the other kids being stoic. Mm-hmm. Um, so she thought that she'd been bitten by a poisonous spider, you know, like Spider-Man. It's just that's her origin story. Yes. You got spider powers in the forest. Spider powers in the forest. Um, that'll be on a t-shirt coming in August. Uh, okay. So then she said that she was with a friend who had been sleeping in a separate camper. And he also woke up with a bite on his neck and felt ill as well. The only strange thing that she could recall is seeing red eyes shining through the trees and their flashlights, which they thought were a deer, which it probably was a deer. And you should probably not eat mushrooms while you're camping is my thought aliens aliens but yeah i mean if your grandma had like that that kind of makes me think that this little boy heard her story about going camping and being bit by a radioactive spider or something and feeling weird and then he was like oh i'm gonna piece this together to a story she's an alien now yeah she's an alien and the her friend abducted i don't know alien spiders i don't know who knows so (laughs) that's yeah the it sounds like the family is full of wild stories and maybe that's why they wanted to remain anonymous but hey good for you it's it's an exciting story and we're talking about it so there you have it have you heard about all of the weird like cult and alien stuff that happens around mount shasta i haven't um so there's this thing called the Lemurians and Lemuria. And it's kind of like a cult, but also kind of like a conspiracy theory thing. But this group of people believe that Mount Shasta is a portal and basically to Lemuria, which is like, I don't know, space heaven or something. <laughs> I'm wondering, I mean, it could go either way. Maybe this grandma is a believer in all this stuff and is like, yeah, there's like aliens and all kinds of stuff up there at Mount Shasta. Or maybe the child was taken to Mount Shasta alien base. Who knows? Yeah. For a very short time compared to the other stories that we're hearing, you know, five hours. Yeah. That must that's have been a really quick, <laughs> quick appointment. I guess the aliens are advancing and they don't need you to sit in their waiting room. Doctor waiting room is long these yeah. days. Maybe they figured out time travel. They just pop you in and out. They can take yeah. you as long as they want, but they'll just bring you back whenever, whenever the world needs you again. You mean like Tim Allen Santa Claus? He could freeze time when he came down the chimney. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah that that's a great documentary i love that uh, maybe it was tim allen maybe he did it maybe it was maybe t- tim allen is magic <laughs> <laughs> this um, is a rabbit hole uh I anyway will, i just wanted to point that out yeah what i will say is like maybe it was only five hours because uh he wouldn't poop on the sticky paper so they were like well you won't do what we need so we'll just take a different kid did a different kid go disappearing some point somewhere? <laughs> go disappearing probably yeah. Yeah, probably. I'm just saying. They could have taken one from anywhere. You yeah. never know. Yeah. No one would know. But, so. yeah. Who wants to talk about berries? Okay, so before I really get into berries, I'm going to tell you all about David Polites. He's the person that's basically responsible for 
missing 411 and everything related to it. And he's kind of billed as like an ex-cop, but really he's more like a cryptozoologist and conspiracy theorist. He's still an ex-cop. Yeah. When he's not working on all these national park disappearance things, he is uh, working on Bigfoot. He's part of a Bigfoot research group. And he pretty much mostly believes that all of these national park disappearances are like paranormal somehow in nature. And the fact that there's so many is like for a paranormal reason. So he believes that all of these disappearances happen in what he calls clusters. And the, some of these clusters make sense. Like he says, a lot of them happen nearby water, which like, yeah, obviously people drown, fall in water, get swept by by rivers, whatever. And like cliff edges. Yeah. People walk too close. Cliffs fall out from under you, caves, you know, and people go missing. But then there are some other ones that are hilariously great, like berries. Berries. Oh God. Anytime I go on a hike, you just got to watch out for those bears. Actually, you kind of do because bears might be nearby, but that's neither. Yes. But he claims that a lot of disappearances happen around berries. Um, Also, some of his clusters are pretty useless and vague and pretty dumb, like brightly colored clothing. I would like to point out that berries are very consistent through forests. Yes. So it's like saying people disappear around leaves. I was on to another ah, point. Not leaves. <laughs> I know. Go, go on to another point. Some of his, some of his clusters are silly, like brightly colored clothing, and also children with disabilities. He oh. says are the majority of the ones that go missing. He is quoted as saying, "People disappear and are found in the middle of berry bushes. They go missing while picking berries, and some are found while eating berries. The connection between some disappearances and berries cannot be denied." <laughs> However, I could not find anything further on what he has to say about berries specifically or any cases that he had actually researched about berries. However, um, one of Sarah's earlier did mention berries. So, hey, there's berries. Did you, did you know that every single person on our list that's gone missing has, has uh, imbibed water at some point in their life? Hmm. Yeah, they all drank water at some point in their life. That's crazy. It's pretty wild. I know. What I a know. connection. Yeah, I'm making a Pilates uh, connection there. Um, but I did manage to find one case that took me several different searches to find anything about people going missing with berries. Um, but I found one, a six-year-old named Lillian Carney. She vanished in Maine in 1987 while picking blueberries with her parents. Um, There was an extensive search with like 200 people in the area. They searched for 46 hours. So over a day, like two days almost. And she was found in the woods, bathed and in a trance-like state. Going back to all the other shit we've talked about where people just come out of the woods fine, but not seemingly mentally fine. And when asked what happened to her, she said that she had been in a place in the forest where the sun had shone the entire time she had been there, uh, which is weird because she was in a dense forest and also was overcast. Both days she was missing. And that's pretty much it for that story. It's pretty short. There was nothing really else to it, but what the fuck happened? How did she survive? And was it aliens? Probably. Probably aliens. I would like to say that it was probably juniper berries, which can have hallucinogenic effects. 
I mean, she's not there with her parents picking blueberries. It's not like yeah. they were all eating juniper berries and well, balls in the forest. It was similar. One thing I really like, they do. They do look very similar. And if the parents know the difference, then they're not going to eat them. But if a child just happens to pick one and eats it, which, I mean, you do things like that as a child. I would like to talk about with this case, I think it's similar to other cases. One of the things about the forest that I think just to like set, like set up the setting a little bit more is if you turn the wrong direction from the person you're with in a forest, you can easily lose each other. It can be like in a matter of minutes, you can completely lose track of the other person, whether they walk around like a Canyon wall or they walk just through a densely like populated area of bushes and trees. Like you can easily lose the other person. And especially if it's a hallucinating child, there's a possibility if you're yelling for them, they're not going to notice because they're a tiny child who's tripping out. Sure, but she was still missing for nearly two days. Yeah, no, I know. I'm not, I mean, I don't know what happened. I'm not saying I did. (laughs) I'm just throwing that out there as a possibility. I do want to say that the berries thing is kind of an interesting thing in some ways, but it's also not interesting in others because as, as I said, like berries are everywhere in the forest, all different types of berries. I mean, you can walk through any forest of Colorado and you'll find some very quickly. They're everywhere. But there were a couple other weird cases that I didn't include in this uh, that did have berries included in the story. One of the weirdest ones, I guess I'll just briefly mention it. I don't remember the kid's name, but one kid went missing and they actually they they spent days looking for his trail. And after heavy rainfall, they found no footprints, but they did eventually find a trail, which was a trail of half eaten insects and berries. So they thought the kid was alive eating berries and insects. But they never, even though they picked up a trail of what he was eating, they never picked up his actual trail, never footprints or anything, mm. which is really, really weird. They even brought in experts, like someone who was noted as being able to track down missing children with very little evidence, and nobody was ever able to find him. But it was another weird case around berries. There are some weird ones, I guess. Sure. But I've never really thought about a connection with berries and missing people. I mean, like I said, he doesn't really like go on to explain what real connection there is. Like if it means anything or if there's always like seems to be berries involved because survival and forests. <laughs> right. And as humans, we're going to search out something that looks edible, which mm-hmm. like, obviously we don't even need to say it. Don't eat random berries in the forest unless you're hundred percent sure what they are, because you'll probably die. Mm. I'm wondering though, is there a big issue with disappearances in the bear community? Because they are around berries all the <laughs> a time. A lot. A lot. They're also known to be in the forest a lot. National parks included. Yeah, mm-hmm. they are. They, and they eat a lot of berries. I mean, like, does does Uncle Joe Bear go missing a lot? Does that happen? Do they get abducted? The world may never know. Speaking of finding out, let's, let's talk about something. Let's travel back to Estes Park. Yeah, let's travel <laughs> to Estes Park in 1958. And let's find out something that I feel like is obvious. And we're going to talk about it. Uh, and it is technically still a cold case, which is why it's on this list, because it's still technically, technically a mystery. But I wanted to include it because I am angry about it. I've totally, I'm just reading the notes. I've totally been here. Yeah. Well, there's a place called Camp St. Malo in Estes Park-ish. It's roughly around that area. Um, It's like right on the border of Rocky Mountain National Park. Yeah. Yeah. And it, in 1958, was running, like it was kind of the first time the camp had really been running. It hadn't been running for very long. And there was a boy named Bobby Bizup who eventually disappears, but he was fishing by himself 
uh, along a creek and he was just up a hill from the camp itself when a counselor went to go get him uh, and you had to go up directly to him because he was uh, partially deaf and he was mostly nonverbal because of that. He was noted as consistently using sign language over trying to speak because speaking kind of like aggravated him, made it hard to communicate. So he was mostly nonverbal. So you usually had to go directly get him. Um, but the counselor said that he went to go get the boy. He let him pack up his fishing stuff, just his fishing pole or whatever. And then he, he said the boy was following him down the hill and then he briefly looked forward. And then the counselor looked back and the boy was completely gone. They immediately jumped on it and they went to go look for the boy and he was just gone vanished without a trace obviously they're calling for him he's also partially deaf so it's hard to say whether or not that is a good resource in this case because you i mean he's most likely not going to hear you especially not in a dense forest like that the police were also quickly sent in and a huge search party was formed they didn't find anything until a year later when way up the mountain like we're talking hundreds and hundreds if not thousands of feet up the mountain uh which was mount meeker they found some of his remains and some of his clothes, not all of his remains. And his clothes were torn up. They figured it was, he was probably attacked by an animal, dragged up there by a mountain lion, whatever, but it was still considered a cold case because there was no evidence as to what actually happened. There was no proof. There wasn't enough of Bobby to, for there to be proof. Um, but this is kind of where, so like I wanted to mention, we already mentioned David P and how he's not really a reliable source of information. He tends to lean towards the fantastical more than he leans towards any real evidence. But he was talking to George Knapp on Coast to Coast in the Missing 411 documentary. And he uses this case as an example of how there's no possibility that this kid was abducted because he was using it as comparison for another case in the documentary. And he says, this is a good example because one counselor was there. The counselor says he was right behind me and there was no there was no time for anyone to abduct the kid, right? That is such a poorly stated there was opinion. One counselor. That there was, yeah. This was yeah. this was not only a poor opinion; it's also idiotic and completely, completely ignores evidence that has come to light since before that documentary was ever made. So this is just a good example of how David Polides, or however you say his name, how he's not really a good, reliable source of information because he ignores evidence to make things more interesting, which is not what you should be doing as an investigator. And it's kind of unfortunate that he's one of the like, quote unquote, frontline people for this missing 411 thing, because he's not really reliable, but let's talk about why he's not reliable. Jump forward in time to what is about 2020, 2021, hard to say when, uh, but somewhere around now, they found a boy's skull in a Denver man's basement in a paper no. bag. No. So uh, this, as it turns out, this man was given this skull by his father in 1980, shortly before his father died. And his father was a prominent member of the church that ran Camp St. Malo. Not only was he a prominent member, he also was like a best friend to the priest who ran the church and the camp at the time. And when his father handed him the skull, he said it wasn't like a direct quote or anything because he said he couldn't remember exactly what his dad said. But the guy said that his dad said, I believe this might be the skull of a missing boy. Right. Loosely quoted. Um, yeah. So this guy, this guy is given the skull in 1980. His father says, I think this is the skull of a missing boy. It's obviously human skull. You can see pictures of it. Um, and 
then he just doesn't do anything about it. He doesn't do anything about it until a news crew stumbles upon this guy based on the fact that his father was a prominent member of the church. And then they find a skull in his basement. He's like, yeah, that was given to me. So it's, it's being tested. This is still an ongoing thing. This isn't completely done yet. Um, but let's talk about why all of this matters and why it might've happened and how this ties into the fact that they found some of the boy's remains and not all of his remains. So as it turns out, the counselors that had worked at the camp during that time also all became priests, or at least three of them did. And also three of them were priests that were proven to have sexually abused children once they became priests, which means it didn't start when they were priests. So these counselors who were relying on for the story in 1958, one of which was one of the ones that would have seen Bobby last, were then accused of sexual assault and then kicked out of church for it. So... Who is the last person? One of those counselors. Just Are they trustworthy? The pieces together, yeah. guys. Yeah, I mean, that's literally all you have to do. But the missing 411 documentary ignores every bit of that. It doesn't mention that the counselors became priests and were proven to have sexually abused children. That's a huge problem because the person that we're relying on for how Bobby disappeared is one of those people. And then as it turns out, the head of that church, who probably also sexually abused people, he has the skull of the boy. It's fucked up. It's fucked up. It's fucked up on many levels. But, like, yeah, what are you doing with human remains? Just go bury it. Let's also place. just, let's just go even further to why this is even more fucked up. In the documentary, they also interview two women who still help run this camp, apparently, at this church, at least at the time the documentary was made. And they do the entire interview with straight faces and pretend like this is a mystery. When they, there's no way they do not know that those priests grew up to sexually abuse children and were proven of that. And they never mention it. And then with a straight face, they pretend like it's a mystery of how Bobby disappeared. I, I wanted to bring this one up because for one, again, still a cold case. It's technically not proven. It's just one of those things you put together all of the most simple puzzle pieces and you come up with a very simple solution to what happened to Bobby. It's very unfortunate, but a lot of people, because it's not technically proven, they still jump on this as being like, it was a mountain lion, or I still saw people making comments like it was Bigfoot. Someone else said it was a supernatural entity, which pops up a lot. And this is one of those cases where like, sometimes it would be a lot more helpful if we just accept the evidence that's sitting right in front of us and don't pretend like aliens came down when there's literally like pedophiles in front of this kid. But yeah. yeah. And this is also just one of the worst cases I've read of a disappearance. And it's technically unsolved, which is also mind boggling to me. So uh, since you're bringing up stuff that um, with disappearances and everything that people aren't talking about um, and refuse to bring it up and just chalk it up to, oh, you know, they just got lost in the woods and everything. I posted some links at the very bottom page about missing and murdered indigenous women and girls and two spirits, because that's also another huge case of disappearances that are absolutely just going underreported or unreported. And um, I, I generally try not to uh, be too crass or whatever when I'm recording these, but if you touch or hurt children or women or two spirits or anything like that, fuck you. And I hope there's a hell that you will burn in for all eternity. Absolutely. The, the, this one is also very similar to, it does remind me of a lot of missing indigenous women cases because you often find that there are simple solutions that are right in front of people, but people are willing to investigate it and it becomes a huge issue. But 
Yeah, it also just shows this. It's just it's on the same topic because national parks are just a dangerous area where people are a lot of times left kind of to their own devices. So it's not always an animal. It's sometimes it's just literally the people that were there. But, I mean, actually, 100% it is an animal. It's just the animals are called human. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. And it's just, I don't know. It's one of those cases that really got to me. And it's kind of a wild case, especially because it's featured pretty prominently in Missing 411. And I think it's it's such an important thing that they don't, like they pretend like it's some supernatural case where nobody knows the answer when it's literally right there. When there are real cases out there that are actually confusing and actually interesting. But that one is not one of those that's interesting for that reason. Yeah. Anyway, beyond Bobby Bizup and his unfortunate story, let's go to a more recent one. Well, more recently disappeared, I guess. More recently disappeared. And also very strange, but also, uh, well, I'll give my opinions at the end. But this <laughs> is the story of Sandra Hughes, the blue-haired ghost, who went missing in 2020. So all of us, you know, we're stuck in this really strange time and getting out of the house was an important thing to do. And that's exactly what Sandra Hughes was doing. She was in her late fifties, still an avid hiker, loved to be out in the wilderness. And one thing I love about her is that she dyed her hair bright blue. And that just kind of shows what kind of character she was just a, a vibrant person. And on the day that she went missing, she was wearing a black shirt, blue jeans, and was carrying a backpack along with some supplies. And her family last heard from her on June 26th. But when she was reported missing, her gear was found scattered around the campground, which led to people thinking maybe she had been attacked or something like that. Then on July 5th, her Saab, which is a cars like a smaller car was found crashed into a tree with her keys still inside so obviously she was able to make her way out of that and wasn't killed by the by the accident then fast forward to august 9th where two hunters said that they spotted a woman just casually leaning up against a tree and they didn't really think anything of it she didn't wave them down or ask them for help or anything so they just thought that she was a camper then when the hunters got back into town. They saw the missing persons posters and said that was the woman they saw. It's just, she was visibly thinner, but she didn't look like she was in any trouble or whatever. So they didn't do any, you know, I guess they didn't do anything about it or something. I don't know. But then on, oh, kind of going back in time here, but July 21st, her family and, oh, this, okay. Nope. This is way fast forward a year later, a family and their three young children, again, people taking their young children to the mountains. The theme decided, here. <laughs> yeah, there is a theme here. And I, I just I just want to tell everybody that has young kids, maybe don't maybe just wait until they're teenagers or something. Um so this family and their three kids decide to take a day hike, and they are all avid outdoors people. They they're an outdoor family and they were going to places that they were used to, but they decided to go to an area that they hadn't been to. But they stopped while they were having their hike just to have lunch and they were sitting in their car. So I'm guessing they were kind of doing more of a drive rather than a hike. But anyway, their three-year-old son, which again, it's like three or four-year-olds that are so creepy. I don't know. <laughs> like I'm about to be an aunt soon and it's making me really nervous reading these stories, just like three-year-olds, I, They're on some other frequency. 
They really are. I just, I'm going to have to stay away for a while just to protect my sanity. But this three-year-old started talking to someone who wasn't there. And he said, there's a lady in the meadow over there and she has a black shirt. She needs our help, but she's dead. So she can't talk. And she's laying face down with her legs up and we need to go help her. So the parents, instead of saying, dear God, you're the creepiest little creature I've ever seen in the entire world. We're like, we totally believe you. Let's go search the field. Because I guess the little boy just was begging his parents, please, we have to go look. Just trust me. Trust me. There's a woman in the field. And as a rational adult, I probably wouldn't want to go look in a field because, you know, what if, what if you do find a body? Like That's going to traumatize you forever. Yeah. But anyway, um, they decided to go looking in this field and they find nothing, empty field. There's absolutely nothing. They get back to town and his mom decides to post this creepy experience on Facebook because I guess that's the only way that mothers can handle raising terrifying children. (laughs) And somebody posted to her Facebook and said, here's a missing person. And is exactly how your son described her. And oh, and that was the other thing. A little boy said that she was wearing a black shirt, blue jeans, and she, or yeah, black shirt, blue jeans, and had blue hair. And so when someone posted the missing poster to the Facebook account, the family was stunned to find the exact same description of this missing woman that disappeared a year before. So obviously the the news contacted them and they, they gave a story on it and everything. And they thought that's kind of where it would end, that they would get their, you know, 15 minutes of fame and deal with that, whatever. But the police ended up contacting the family and said, take us back to the exact spot. We want to see where it is, all that. So they took the police out to this area where the kid was talking to the ghost and they found nothing. So the woman is still missing. Um, I'll, yeah, I'll give my opinions about what I think about this at the end, but that was just another weird story like that. I don't, the way that he described her, that she was face down, but her feet, her legs were up. Yeah. It's like really specific. That's so weird. That's a weird way to describe a body. That's like not a natural position for us to be in. We're going to, you know, just be prone if we're being a dead body or something, but with her legs in the air, that really creeped me out. And I've definitely had nightmares about it since <laughs> researching this. Yeah, that's a really weird case. Thanks, children. Yeah, can you just tune in with the rest of us on a normal frequency so we can all be normal? <laughs> yeah, please, please stop talking to stuff that's not there. I struggle enough as an, you know, fairly normal human. So <laughs> cool. So now we're on the ghosts. We've got, we've got aliens, we've got horrible people, we've got ghosts i mean robots radioactive spiders yep a regular grab bag of disappearances in national parks Mm -hmm. and these are again like this is not like the full comprehensive list of disappearances but of course make sure that that, like this isn't even like the comprehensive list of weirdness this is just some of what we wanted to pack into a single or possibly two depending on how long this is uh but into an episode or into a little run like we could do multiple episodes on this I mean, there are literal podcasts about this. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, these are just some of the weird ones. Uh, The next one on here is so I didn't actually want to do a bunch of the ones for Missing 411. We originally watched the documentary. I was like, okay, yeah, that's kind of interesting. Like, I don't want to take a bunch of these because they already did it. 
as you look more and more into missing 411 and you realize as we've already mentioned ad nauseum that like they miss so many details or they just choose not to include details or in this story they choose to include things that didn't happen which is irritating so i chose to include this one because it is still a mystery and this one is very very confusing and i think it's one of the most mysterious ones that i did end up finding i found another one that i almost replaced it with but we're gonna go with this one instead so sammy bulky bulk i don't know how to say his last name i think they said bulky bulky we'll go with bulky uh in 2006 a nine-year-old disappeared uh at crater lake so crater lake it's a big lake it's a big cold air um but it is still an active volcano this nine-year-old went disappearing he so like starting out one thing that missing 411 mentions is that he had uh, a mental disability which is true uh he is he was very close with his father who constantly took him on trips like this they would go fishing things like that outdoor adventures stuff like that they were very very close uh this happens between him and his father well he saw the kid did from the car a shiny gold rock up on the hill and he wanted to go look at it it was in the middle of winter there's snow everywhere he sees a shiny object he wants to go look at it the dad pulls over the car lets him get out to kind of look at it closer then he goes up the hill the kid does which dad doesn't really want so he tries to call him back down the hill the kid doesn't come down the hill because he thinks that they're playing a game at that point so they used to play tag a lot he and his dad did so he thought fun another game of tag so he ran further up the hill and his dad chased after him i'm going to backtrack real quick because missing 411 incorrectly states what happens here and they treat the child as a weirdly aggravated child in a situation that isn't there i read the dad's account multiple times i read other accounts everything i could find and quotes from the dad in interviews and this didn't happen missing 411 claimed that the kid was threatening a biker with a rock that didn't happen we don't need to present him that way because it's unnecessary. It also doesn't affect the story in any way, shape, or form. So I don't know why Missing 411 included it. But they focus so much on things like that that they forget to focus on the actual mystery here, which is the dad chases him up the hill, going back to what actually happened, and calling after him to come back down. The kid gets over the crest of the hill. The dad gets over the crest of the hill right after. Kid's gone. 100% disappears from the physical planet he's just gone <laughs> well this story is fucking wild to me because it's literally like a matter of like a couple minutes like the kid gets out of the car goes up the hill to look at a rock dad told him to come down he goes up over the over the hill he's gone just like instant. and the dad's already chasing him up a hill yeah. before he even crests the he's hill. not even like that far away like <laughs> what yeah so it's very very confusing and this is a cold case obviously because where where did he go there's not really time there's not a lot of time for an animal to grab him it's also there's snow so you'd be able to see if something grabbed him you'd see like tracks or something like that you'd think there's no tracks there's no proof that he's there anymore his dad's calling for him he doesn't answer um and they tried to get people out there to search but then they got heavy snow so that ended up impeding the search so it becomes this huge problem and they never find a body. There's no bones ever found. They still have yet to find anything to this day. Um, the only speculation is from people online, fun commenters who say that the dad killed him, which I don't think is remotely true in this case. There's nothing to say that he did. And also they were very, very close. Uh, and also some people say mountain lion, which I think would be semi-plausible if it wasn't for the fact that there's also snow everywhere. You definitely at least see tracks. Usually a mountain lion is like hard to find. Well, but, the dad wasn't that far away. And the dad also wasn't that far. To be fair, mountain lions can be fast. Like I remember there was a woman in California riding bikes with her friend. She turned the corner and a mountain lion grabbed her and knocked the bike off the, off the second ledge. And the friend almost didn't find her. 
she found her within just like a split moment before she was going to die from the mountain line. They can be fast and they're hard to find, but this isn't really that situation. And the hill doesn't really have like a bunch of trees on it going up it. So there's not like a lot of places to hide. So it's, it's an aggravating case, but this is where I bring up something that I love to talk about, just caves. Why? Caves. Why, Cameron? No, no. One, one thing with a lot of national park disappearances <laughs> is when you look around the area that people seem to physically vanish, where there's absolutely no way they could have just disappeared within that radius, you find that there are a lot of caves in the area. And because Cam's looking for them. Yeah, well, yeah because, because people don't look for them. And I think it's mind-boggling because... For people that don't know, if there are caves in the area, there is a possibility that there are other openings to the cave. And openings aren't like these like old cartoon style holes where you see like a giant hole in the ground. They can be these small cracks that are in between bushes and trees. You'll never see them, but if you're thin enough, you can fall into them. Or if you're a nine-year-old, possibly you can fall into them. Well, Cameron, <laughs> I'm thin. Why are you doing this to me? <laughs> I'm never I mean, leaving my house. After reading some of these things, like I may, like it makes me wonder why I don't walk around with like a constant rope attached to something when I'm in these parks. <laughs> right. But Crater Lake specifically, again, active volcano still to this day. There are parts of the lake bottom where usually the average temperature of the lake bottom is about 38 degrees. There are sections where there's hydrothermal vents and those are 68 degrees. So very active volcano, but there's a lot of caves because of that. Specifically, there are roughly over 40, but roughly around like 30 known caves, something like that. Uh, and most of those are on the rim of the lake because they're built by erosion. It's very fragile ground because it's all volcanic anyway. So those ones aren't that surprising, but there are also caves outside of the rim and they extend into unknown areas. Like we actually don't have a lot of these mapped out and there's everything from like, I read a whole paper that some guy did uh, based on his studies there in like the fifties, but there's everything from like caves that drop four feet into the ground and that's it. That's all they are. They're just four foot drops. Like most of most people, they would drop like waist deep and then you just be able to pull yourself back out. They don't go anywhere. There's other caves like rugged crest that have points that drop 30 feet in just a matter of like moments. Like you could just be walking and then all of a sudden 30 foot drop. So, and those, this one specifically was in the area that he disappeared. Rugged Crest does extend near that area. And it's known to extend into an unknown distance. So we actually don't know how long Rugged Crest is. We know that we've mapped out multiple passageways that can go, I think it set up to like three fourths of a mile away from the crater. So pretty far, and it has these 30 foot drops. But Rugged Crest specifically is considered a fragile one at the time, at least that the sky wrote this paper it was. And looking at how the cave exists around that rim, it's actually right around the area Sammy disappeared. So what I'm questioning, especially with the snow and how easy it is to cover up these little holes in the ground, is if Sammy didn't unfortunately walk into a little crevice and fall. And it's it seems outlandish when you think about it at first, but not when you like actually start to look into how caves are made up. Yeah, I mean, like honestly, like what the fuck happened. else happened? It actually is one of the most plausible things that I've seen, but it's not what people are saying. People are like mountain lion, dad did that seems it. Seems to be everybody's aliens. conclusion. They're like. It was a mountain lion, probably. Mountain lions are terrifying. Okay. Let's totally. Just, let's just go ahead and say that. They I'm not saying horrifying. they're not, but. They have bigger teeth than it looks. But yeah, again, just to make, just to give you a good visual. Again, these aren't holes in the ground necessarily. These are cracks in the ground. And they are often covered up by bushes 
Uh, they're covered up by tree roots, things like that. But if you step in the wrong place, especially when there's snow, you could just fall straight into one. So if he falls into a 30 foot cave underneath the ground, he's gone. And especially with a heavy snowfall, it's going to cover that up even more. You're never going to find it. And there are so many cave entrances that you just never find. There are tons and tons and tons. New ones open up in Florida all the time, sucking up homes and lakes. That happens. That's yeah, yeah. Thing. We already talked about I know. Oh, I like to just say, I'm just saying, but for me, I didn't see anyone actually talking about this, but I've seen it talked about with other disappearances before. And this one seems very plausible. And when it first, when we were first hearing about the story, I was like, this doesn't sound so supernatural as it does. We need to look at the caves in the area. And I think there's a good possibility that that's what happened, but who knows? Maybe it was aliens. Maybe aliens just plopped him off the planet or Maybe it was underground cave people, cannibals who reached out from a crack and grabbed his and grabbed him and just like pulled him under, or he just fell. Oh God, no! Maybe that too. <laughs> anyway, I'm so glad that we're recording in daytime this time because there would be no way I'd sleep for sure. <laughs> I do want to say, like, I had to watch cartoons last night before I went to bed. <laughs> I hurt, I hurt my brain a little bit looking at Crater Lake for a little too long yesterday because there are a lot of caves at Crater Lake, and honestly. I can't I mean, believe more people <laughs> haven't like fallen into them because they're everywhere. They are literally everywhere. Where is so, Crater Lake so I can avoid it? Crater Lake is in Oregon, I believe, if I remember Noted. right. All right. So, yeah, it's Mount Mazama Park. And I believe it is in Oregon. All right. I'm going to avoid that. I'll just, I'll double check for you. That way you can't accidentally stumble upon it and be like, this is a beautiful lake. We're a child. <laughs> yeah, it's in Oregon. Yeah, it is very pretty from photos. Like it's got super blue water. Uh, it technically has no natural fish populations. The only fish in the lake were introduced by humans because it doesn't connect to a river or anything. It's all from snowmelt. So yeah, it's very, very beautiful. And it's actually a pretty young lake because it's only about 7,700 years old. So it's not oh, very it's old baby. at all. Yeah, very, 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 very much a baby. But that's also why the caves can be even more treacherous because they're not older formations so they haven't been around very long so they could easily go away at any moment <laughs> in time anyway good moment to rem- just to remind everybody wherever you are on the planet you're always over a cave so thanks next one thanks for that Thank God i live on the second floor that it's doesn't just help. a farther it's fall it's just yeah it just again a man's house in florida was completely swallowed by it. anyway let's move we on get it. to the next one <laughs> oh, i like caves God. i think caves are fun oh, my god all right. Well, another yeah. place to avoid uh, Oregon. <laughs> yeah. So this is the Stephen Van Pelt story. He was originally from Mendocino. So I'm calling him the Mendocino man because that's kind of funny. Um, yeah. Make sure you go watch that, that classic film. Mm-hmm. So Stephen and his friend, which I'll just start by saying they never identify who he was hiking with. Ever. In any of the news stories, they always just say hiking companion or friend or something like that. And it just, I don't know why they're not telling us who he was hiking with. That's that's superstitious. So um, he was a 33-year-old, I guess, in 2021. And he and his friend went hiking up Mount Jefferson in Oregon. And this mountain is known for being pretty treacherous. You need to be a very experienced climber to go up this mountain at all. There are signs everywhere saying, if you don't know how to climb mountains, don't, don't even think about it. I'm sure that's exactly what the sign says. It's really <laughs> word for word. Well, well written. Um, 
so they're hiking up this mountain and um, his companion says that he was just, just ecstatic. They had met the summit and just, he was on cloud nine, they said, but then he just fell off the side of a cliff and his hiking companion says, we knew his end was imminent. Mm. So never saw what, like, not never saw him hit the ground, never saw any of that, just knew he was dead, which is the first thing I found really strange. Yeah. So the, the fall was reported to authorities in the afternoon, and they immediately launched a recovery mission, which was difficult because they needed technical climbers to try and find this guy. And they had people from all the just numerous different climbing groups, I don't know, clubs, whatever you call them, trying to scale this mountain to find him. And no one could find Steven, which was really strange because they went to the exact spot where his climbing companion said that he fell. And if you like, why wouldn't you just immediately, you know, look directly down from where he fell? That's where he should be, right? Yeah. (laughs) He was gone. There was no body. They didn't find any evidence, like no gear, not a shoe, not a piece of clothing, nothing. They found absolutely nothing. And then they had to call off the search because it was too dangerous. There was snow and ice and just the mountain in general is really difficult, like I mentioned. Then there was speculation that he had fallen into a specific drainage, which I'm guessing is kind of like an arroyo where, you know, where two pieces of hill come together and that's um for any of you who don't didn't study archaeology in college uh, arroyos are places where a lot of artifacts are found because they just kind of roll down this hill and get stuck in this little meeting of two mountains it's sort of like a mini canyon basically and so i thought that he might have fallen into a, a drainage like that and even after an extensive search they found nothing one thing that they did say was while the, the technical climbers were down there sifting through this mud and dirt, that there were rocks and there was mud falling on top of them as they were looking. So it kind of seems more like if he did fall, he might have just been buried there. Mm, and um, his family, they took it strangely well. And they said that the Mount Jefferson was the best tombstone they could have found for him. And that being buried there was probably exactly where he wanted to be and manicured lawns were not meant for him kind of a thing. So hopefully they're doing well, but he just vanished off the face of the earth, even though his friends saw him fall. See, this is another case where it's like, Oh, there's only one other person with them. Hmm." Yeah. And he says that this person went missing here and then people look and nobody finds him hmm. <laughs> yeah, i i did that a lot during all of the all this research was that's kind of odd there's just I mean, one it's witness like the counselor story all over again like oh only one counselor saw the kid wow i mm-hmm. wonder what happened like mm-hmm. i don't know i mean with this one at least like you said the mountain is treacherous and the, all of the area below it is treacherous so it's hard to say whether or not it would be easy to find him but I mean, even the fact that we don't even know who the other person is, mm-hmm. is sus to me. <laughs> yeah, that's super weird. And I mean, I guess there's got to be like survivor guilt happening and everything, but it's just. Yeah. Cliff. Hmm. 
Okay, look over the cliff. Nope, nobody. <laughs> Just gone. Just gone. Just fell into a portal. Yeah. Or cave. So definitely hashtag cave cannibals. There's lots of caves in that area in general. Did you Google it while she was talking? No, I didn't look at things where people were saying that sometimes there's just like a hundred foot drop into a cavern or whatever in Oregon. Oregon is actually full of caves in general. I found that out while looking up Crater Lake. Didn't know that. Didn't know that it was full of death. Didn't know it was full of terrifying things that are around. Uh, But it is. It has giant cave systems. Again, everywhere does. It's just usually they're not necessarily that close to the surface. Except for where I'm living and anywhere I go, there are no right. caves ever. Except yeah. for that. There's definitely not. As long as you don't go to Florida, there definitely are. 100% oh, trust me. Paper-thin ground. Anyway, speaking of cave cannibals. Cave cannibals. I wanted to elaborate a little bit on that. Yeah, let's, let's Please do. send into caves. this. Um, yeah. But these types of people actually seem to be a pretty consistent theory with these national park disappearance cases, but they're more specifically referred to as like feral or wild people. So I'm going to preface this with a story of Dennis Lloyd Martin, who went missing in 1969 in the great smoky mountains national park. So the story goes that he and a bunch of other children at a campsite that they were at, uh, we're going to hide in the bushes off of a path to try and jump out and scare all of their parents. The children all went and hid in their separate little spaces. And then they all jumped out except for Martin. And he just, that was it. He disappeared. He never came back. They never found him. He wasn't in his hiding spot. He just poof, gone. His father and I'm sure other people ran off uh, searching for him, yelling his name. They never found him. There was no trace. I guess it had also rained shortly after, so any trace that there would have been disappeared. So a family that was camping close by claims that they saw a figure running towards them and described it as bear-like or like humanoid bear-like. And another member of the family claimed it was a disarranged man of some sort. I heard the direct quote was bear man. Like bear that was man. the direct quote yeah. that one of them used was literally bear man. Yeah. Man, yeah. man bear pig or whatever. <laughs> so either because of this case, the, the Dennis Lloyd Martin case, or just because of feral, feral people. Um, when you search what park has feral people, you get great smoky mountains national park. So this, this feral people theory goes on to claim that either uh, these feral people are taking young children to then raise them as the next generation of national park feral people um (laughs) or they're just eaten depends on if they're cannibalistic entirely or if they are just looking for children to take (laughs) yeah and the funniest thing about this theory for me is that it is a tiktok trend of course it is kids these days and their tiktok Back in my day, we used to post flip phone videos to YouTube. Call that a conspiracy (laughs) theory. Anyway, there's one TikToker that claims she found hundreds of humanoid footprints at the top of a mountain that she was climbing. And then she goes on to claim that the government is keeping this a secret due to their lack of species classification of these humanoid feral people monster things. Yeah, that's what stops the government from killing people. I know, it seems like a weirdly... Lack of classification. That, that's just a weird point to make. Like, we don't know what it is. So we're going to keep it secret. Like, what? <laughs> well, and I also want to know, what is the difference between a humanoid footprint and a human footprint? Yeah. 
like does the bottom of the heel say like humanoid <laughs> or like i mean this, this girl on tiktok i don't know if she's really like what's the word credible credible she's enough. a random person i've seen the videos she she doesn't have yeah any training to know the difference between footprints, I would say. Yeah. Um, but I just thought that was funny that that was her reasoning. So basically all these TikTok conspiracy theorists uh, claim that due to the fact that most of our national parks are dense and largely undiscovered and people don't typically walk through most of the land that are in national parks, because that's kind of the point of a national park, that there's a good chance that a subhuman species of people have been living there in those areas and occasionally come out to terrorize people. I am going to say, and I've seen her video, I'm going to say she watched uh, a certain episode of X-Files a little too much because there was an episode of X-Files that had the exact same plot. Oh, really? Yep. Yeah, you don't remember that? <laughs> no. Yeah, it's a woman living out in the forest and she has multiple little children and they're like Neanderthals, basically. Mm. And they live in oh, a national yeah, yeah. forest yep. and they live under the ground and this is literally the exact plot of that. But also, also, this seems like one of those stories where it's like someone went somewhere and they were like, well, there's no way any other humans were here except for me. But like, if you got there, other people can get there. Okay. You're not the only person that has ever been there. I guarantee it. So like, who knows why there's footprints up there? Maybe she did find actual footprints up there. Or maybe some psycho, like there's all kinds of fucking hippies that go hiking barefoot. I was going to say, there is like a barefoot movement where people don't wear shoes. It's a possibility that someone just or not wearing just shoes went up there, up there. made it to the top of their hike and was like, fuck yeah, took off their shoes, took a break, walked around in circles paste, ate their lunch, and then put their shoes back on and left. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, grounding is good for you. Like, I'm not into the whole hippie movement, but um, it's good for you. You know, to get in touch with the land. Although, while you are in a really dangerous place where something could kill you at any second, taking off your shoes is probably a bad call. Yeah. You have two weapons at that point. You got two (laughs) shoes. So... Monsters. You got new weapons if you need them. Take out the the mountain cannibals, I guess. I don't know if anyone's actually ever tried to hike in a forest though without shoes. It hurts. Well, it's yeah. painful. Yeah. Um, nope, never tried it. Yeah. And it's not really just a theory that stops at the Great Smoky Mountains because I think that TikTok one was that that one specifically was like um, in Big Bend. Mm. And then there's some all over the place. Like I saw some in New Mexico, some in Colorado, of course, Oregon. Um, the whole deal so yeah it's also it's kind of a national national park theory it that is there are worth all people it is worth noting that the national park service says that it is absolutely a myth and not true and that there's never been any evidence found of it mm-hmm. so i would just like to say that it's also just as not proven that national park services members aren't the ones that are cannibalizing people so I'm just <laughs> right could be them yeah could be them so yeah yeah. Well, to top this one off, I also just kind of wanted to softball in there that a lot of people have pointed out that this is kind of just upholding harmful stereotypes about Native peoples of the Appalachian area. So, fact. Yeah. yeah. Yep. A lot of those, like, Although, cannibals in the forest theories are kind of leftover savage people uh-huh. bullshit. Uh-huh. Although, I, like, mentally, the first place that I went was that, like, a bunch of colonizers just went into the forest way back when and never came out and they've just been surviving as feral people like <laughs> i'd be just, way just more likely it. to believe that since this country does have a history of cannibalism and it's always always the white people that came over <laughs> for the country 
every last story that I've heard is the white people that came over every time. I mean, Sarah talked about it in our last episode and, you know, the Donner party. I was going to say, yeah, do we even need to bring up the Donner party with what they did? I mean, some of the first else. colonies we had over here having mm-hmm. been some Growing cannibalizing up, people. Maybe. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, Basically, not to mention our... Suck. <laughs> I, ha- I have no comment about that. Um, but, like, even our own cannibal, we have Alfred Packer, which we need to go visit his grave soon. So if yeah. you're listening in Colorado and you want to visit a alleged cannibals... Well, actually, it's not alleged because he was convicted and tried and put in prison for it. Um, the cannibal's grave is in Littleton, Colorado. Um, I'm going to top this off with, if you're going to go out in the national parks... Maybe bring some food so you don't have to like eat people or berries that I guess cause problems. Or if you do have to eat people, always helps bring a little bottle of hot sauce, barbecue <laughs> sauce. Something. You just, yeah. You just bring that yeah. with you. Mm-hmm. You're good to go. Just yeah. when you go out in the wilderness, maybe don't go alone. Bring the right gear. That'll at least reduce your chances of going missing by aliens or getting kidnapped or yeah, it's always smarter. And bring at least three so that your one friend that pushes you off a cliff doesn't just mm. go anonymous for the rest of life. So um, yeah. bring a group. That's my <laughs> that's my hot tip. <laughs> and just carry a, a big rope, you know, like just in case. Like maybe, you, never know. you know, just in case. Yeah. Turn, turn <laughs> it around on the cave cannibals. When they pop out, you eat them. Oh, that's yeah. That. There you go. Show them who's king. You become uh, the new yeah. cave cannibal king. <laughs> Then, whenever you go hiking, you can always go hiking alone because they're always underneath you, protecting you. So, they'll pop out at any moment. Yeah, that would be a hell of a movie. It's like Pokemon, but more fun. (laughs) On that note, lots of things happened throughout this episode. I'm just going to say that I don't, I didn't find any case really other than, the only thing that makes my brain just immediately go aliens is the one where children appear out of the mist with no clothes on. After I'm, several days in the yeah, forest in the cold. It's weird. That one's weird to me. But that's the only one on our list that really makes me think that. Cave cannibals. Fucking TikTok. I wouldn't say no, though. <laughs> I, I'll say maybe not like a race of cave cannibals. Maybe more like there's some people out in the woods that might not have a lot of means to survive. That wouldn't really surprise me. Like some Jeffrey Dahmers, but they like mountains. That kind of thing. Yeah, I believe that. I mean, if you can catch and kill a human, why wouldn't you just like grab some squirrels or something because a child is bigger than a squirrel and just (laughs) yeah it's easier to grab a child than it is to grab a squirrel so yeah have you ever tried to catch a squirrel no (laughs) well you should and then try to catch a human it'll be easier to catch this is a test i will do for the podcast yeah okay just please film it yeah i will anyway i think most of these are explainable in some way shape or form and also often when i read cave or national park disappearances i look up to see if there's caves and if there are i pretty much come to that conclusion might be unfair might be unfounded but that's what i think be biased because all you can ever think about is caves um i i'm in agreement i think generally it was probably just horrible circumstances the wilderness is not a place that we are accustomed to living in anymore unfortunately which is pretty sad we're 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 getting a little soft as a species. Um, the Sandra Hughes ghost blue hair story that, I don't know, that's, that's kind of a weird one to me. I was reminded of the balloon boy fiasco in 2009 where, you know, the, the people just wanted 
fame and uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm hoping that they didn't just make it up because that would be a horrible thing to do. And then the family of this poor missing woman have to live with knowing that that's the last thing anybody ever heard about her. Yeah. Is that she's a ghost. You know, the only, the only thing I wonder about the Sandra Hughes one is whether or not like it wasn't more of like, there's always like that little spark of truth in that kind of thing. And I'm wondering if it isn't like a kid actually did see like the poster Mm-hmm. And then kind of ended up forming that scenario in their mind. And then the parents were like, oh, well, then we should probably check just to make sure someone's not hurt or something like that. That could have happened. Kids do things like that. And if mm-hmm. there were posters floating around the area, there's a good chance there's someone, there's some kind of poster littering the area in a forest too. Like you find things yeah. like that in forests all the time. So. Yeah. Well, and uh, one note is they lived in a town really near where all of this took place. So, the kid probably saw it on the news yeah. numerous times throughout if, the year. If it wasn't like a local public school legend, because that kind of thing happens all the time too. Yeah. Where kids spread that really fast. Oh, so, totally. Yeah. yeah. I remember so many, so many weird stories as a kid that now as an adult, I'm kind of sad. We don't talk about <laughs> except for on this podcast. You're saying you want to get together with a group of adult friends and do bl- the bloody Mary thing in front of a mirror. No. Yeah, totally. Okay, let's do it then. <laughs> Allie. That's me. What do you think? <laughs> Anything here that screams aliens or cannibals? Or well, I mean, like you said, beats? the kids, all those weird kids that have survived still creep me out. That was weird. And it's also yeah. weird that this wasn't even really a connection that we found, like, uh, like already made. Like, we were just Googling things and they just kept popping up. Right. So. Yeah. Like all of us independently were researching different stories about national park disappearances. And then we all stumbled upon just loads of kid being creepy stories. Yeah. Mm. And even like the, the one with the berries that I mentioned, that one also goes with the exact same story. And there's always something weird that the kid has to say about what happened. I don't know. Like, I don't have any explanation for that, but with most other things, I'm like, people are stupid. They go out in the wilderness with nothing and they go off trail and they think, oh, it's right there. But they don't realize that when you're in the middle of the forest, you can lose a trail like instantly. Mm-hmm. You can literally take two steps off the trail and lose it. I mean, it blends in with everything. Yeah. <laughs> and so I think it's very easy for people to get lost or be unaware of their surroundings. And I mean, I don't know. I don't want to say like eaten by an animal happens that consistently but it might, but it also seems like a cop out for a lot of these stories to get the police to stop searching. So I don't know. It could be a variation of things, but I think more often than not, it's just mother nature taking you for their own. Taking you back home. Yep. Mm -hmm. You don't fuck with mother nature and expect to survive. That barely scratched the surface of everything that has happened as far as unsolved cold cases and national parks. Maybe one day we'll get better record keeping and maybe make some progress with giving people closure but who knows yeah but until then we've got all of our links down at the bottom of the episode we've got a coffee i always want to call it ko-fi because that's how my brain reads it but we've got a coffee if you want to throw some virtual money in a virtual tip jar to give us some virtual help with a virtual podcast but We've got everything else down there as well, as well as the Goodreads. And we've got a newsletter where we show you all this kind of stuff. Um, usually we don't mention uh, like movies and stuff, but with Cave Cannibals, I can't help but think of The Descent, which is a really yeah, fun buddy. horror film. 
Really, really like the descent. Uh, it's an enjoyable film if you want to see some cave cannibals in action. It does okay. the trick. So yeah, maybe watch that if you're interested in it, or if you're afraid of it, don't watch that. Go I also added a, I added a link to a movie called The Edge, which is a Anthony Hopkins um, movie where they get lost in the woods. And it will make you, hopefully, it will make you more aware of ways that you can prepare yourself for survival in the woods. And it inspired me to do a deep dive into survival techniques. So <laughs> keep learning, kids. Never, never stop learning. Or someday the, you might need it. At the very, very least, if you don't want all the scary stuff and you don't want it to be super realistic, the original Pokemon series is just kids getting lost in the woods all the time. So <laughs> you can really just watch that and enjoy it. Uh, knowing that nothing terrible ever happens to them. So, true. Yeah. There you go. Anyway, I've been Cave Cameron. It's me. Yeah. It's my name. I'm Allie. I'm Sarah, just regular old plain Sarah. Supernatural Sus- Sarah. Yeah. Supernatural Sarah. I was going to be a suspicious friend that pushes your friend off the cliff, Sarah. That's a long <laughs> one. That's a bit longer. Suspicious Sarah. There's, there's also. Up there. I guess for Allie, you could be Alien Allie. That one works. Thanks for listening. Uh, yeah, th- this was the show. Remember to always stay stitious and uh, if you don't s- eat the berries. Yeah, don't eat the berries. Yeah, because there's a connection. Stay stitious and You'll don't eat the berries. Yeah, that's solid advice.